Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Collective Creamery podcast, where we're crafting the conversation around American artisan cheese. I'm Alex Jones. I'm Steph Angstadt. And I'm Sue Miller. And today we have uh, an interview that we're really excited about to share with you. When we were at the American Cheese Society conference and competition back in July, you've already heard some of the interviews that we did there. We were really, really excited to catch some of our favorite cheesemaker pals, be in the same room with them, sit down with them, talk with them, drink with them, and get to to dig in to their cheesemaking lives. And someone who we've been admiring for a really long time, and who we always love seeing at these cheesy events is Molly Croys. She is the cheesemaker and owner at George's Mill Cheese in Lovettsville, Virginia. And Molly is just a, a woman who she's a totally badass and we all love her and admire her greatly. I first met Molly in, I guess it was a few years ago at the PASA conference, Pennsylvania Association for Sustainable Agriculture. And there was a cheese making track and we were sitting in the class studying up on cheese making techniques. And I looked over and saw this young woman just furiously knitting away, not looking at her hands, just paying attention to the board, but furiously knitting away this beautiful scarf. And I thought, I've got to know this person. So we introduced each other and um, sure enough, here was this fascinating person um, who we've gotten to know over the years and have come to admire. She has an awesome Instagram account with photos of adorable baby goats and this beautiful aesthetic. She makes ramp chev in the spring. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, certainly upon interviewing her at ACS last month or a month and a half ago, um, we learned how fascinating of a background she has. This is a woman who is a Maine East Coaster. She uh, went to business or she went to graduate school for fishery management. And we're going to share a little bit about the story of how she kind of traveled around the country and ended up on her husband's family farm in Lovettsville, Virginia, raising alpine dairy goats and making cheese. So wait a second before we go any further. Do you say she's an East Coaster if she's from Maine or is she a Down Easter? What is it? What is that? She's a Mainer. She's, she's a Mainer. Not a Nor'easter. No, she, well, she has a forest. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. You're right. She's Down East. She's Down East. She's yeah. a Down Easter. She is, definitely. I don't know. We have to ask Molly. <laughs> so, in addition to being this, you know, kind of one woman cheese show and raising two young kids, uh, when we first got her beautiful Calvary Camp Ash, this cute little baby crotan dusted in ash that's just so delectable for the cheese share uh, last summer, we were trying to like plan it around her due date. And luckily, the cheese, the cheese was delivered shortly before the baby was. She was so pregnant. Um, yeah, she was totes preg. And um, <laughs> she she is like doing it all. Um, How? I mean, I, I I'm know. so we just we all think we don't have enough hours in the day to do our jobs. And here's this person who is not only making cheese, but raising farm animals and a one and a three year old. I just she is such a force of nature. <laughs> um, but another really cool thing about their farm is that it's this I actually don't know. I'm not sure if we have the acreage handy, but um, it's a large parcel that has been in her husband's family since the Civil War era. There are four families living on the property now. There's a bed and breakfast that I think some of the family runs. And in addition to the cheese making and, you know, raising the animals, they have some really, really smart 
and fun sounding ideas for getting people interested in their farm, adding revenue to the farm that, you know, maybe we should do one day. <laughs> barn dances. We do love some music. Petting so, yeah, baby they, goats. they do barn dances. They have baby goat like meet and greet time in the spring. I don't know. Maybe Steph should be bringing people into frolic with the lambs uh, <laughs> in you know, March and April. I don't know. But yeah, she's just such an inspiring cheesemaker. Just like really. She's a hard worker. Yeah. Like really like down to earth yeah. and, um, you know, clearly ambitious because of like how much she's crushing it, but like really chill and awesome. And I think after this interview, you're going to love her as much as we do. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Molly Croys of George's Mill Artisan Cheese. Cheers. 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 Hi, everyone. We are here at the American Cheese Society conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 2018. It's late July. The sun is shining. And um, we're so excited to be here with Molly Croys. Molly Croys, who is the um, owner and operator of George's Mill Farmstead Goat Cheese. Thanks for being here with us, Molly. Thanks for having me. So I've been really excited to interview you because I've just been an admirer of yours since we first met um, at a PASA conference a few years ago. Um, I just think it's really cool what you're doing as kind of this woman-led uh, operation, milking goats. You're milking 36 goats, mm -hmm. I understand, yep. alpines, um, in Lovettsville, Northern Virginia, um, and making just these amazing farmstead goat cheeses with a beautiful aesthetic. I love your Instagram photos. You have these two adorable children um, and you're on an incredible family farm, which is eight going on nine generations deep. Pretty incredible story. So I'm excited to dive right in and hear more about this. So Molly, I guess tell us a little bit about the, the farm. The farm has been in my husband Sam's family since the 1750s. His five, seven great grandfather first settled there. And most of the infrastructure on the farm was built um, around the time of the Civil War because at that time there was the farm was much bigger. And so they were living on a different part of the farm, what is now a totally separate farm that belongs to one of his cousins. So the barn that our creamery is in and the what we would call the big house, which is now a bed and breakfast that Sam's grandmother and his mom run were both built just after the Civil War. And then the house that we live in is actually an old barn as well. And that was built about the same time. And it was a lot of different things. At the time of the Civil War, they were breeding horses and grew some small grains and did a lot of different things. Um, and since that time, it's been a lot of a lot of different iterations. They raised beef cattle for a while. They raised replacement heifers for a dairy in like the 60s and 70s. Um, most recently, it was there were horses there for about 10 or 15 years before we moved back. Sam grew up there and then left for 10 years and met me and we moved back in 2011. But it hasn't been, until we started farming, it hadn't been actively farmed by his immediate family for probably three generations. They had been renting most of the land out to cousins and neighbors, which really helped keep it in the family. Um, we live in an area that has 
really exploded in growth. We're about 50 miles from DC. And so we're very much on the edge of the sprawl from the Northern Virginia sprawl. And so there's a lot of development pressure. Um, So we're excited to be back on the farm and farming it and trying to preserve that land, keep it out of the hands of developers as long as possible, hopefully forever. So did you have an agricultural background before you got hooked up with Sam and came back to the family farm? No, I grew up in a small town in Maine, in town. And I I mean, Maine is a very agricultural state generally. Mm -hmm. So even though I grew up in town, I was very aware of, you know, farms and things that were going on in that world, but not, not, no personal, real personal experience with that. And I went to grad school. I have a degree in fisheries science, a master's degree in fisheries science. That's where I met Sam. <laughs> yeah. So we were in Alaska. We met in Alaska working with fish. And when I was in grad school, I had started making cheese as a hobby. I liked to cook and it was a sort of natural extension of that. And we lived in Washington state. And so raw milk was legal and I could get raw milk and make cheese with that, which made it a lot easier to experiment than it is for a lot of people because sour milk is not great for making cheese. And I got hooked on that. At that point, it was my release from my crazy days at at school and I would come home and make cheese. And after I finished school and got a real job, I continued to make cheese and didn't like my real job. And we were living in a place that we didn't like. Um, Really, it was kind of a tiny town. We didn't have any friends and Sam couldn't find work because it was the height of the recession. And um, we kind of just started scheming about what we wanted to do the rest of our lives. And there was a lot of small scale dairy in Washington, of course. And so we saw a lot of that at the farmer's markets that we would go to. And on the weekends, we'd go drive out to people's farms. and, And we knew that Sam's family farm was there and that we could potentially move back there and do something with it. And so in 2000, so it was 2010, we started talking about it. And in the late summer of 2011, we moved back, quit my job, and we drove across the country and set up shop in on the family farm. Um, originally, we were living in the basement of the B&B, which is this big, big old Civil War era stone house. And I spent a year writing a business plan and making cheese. We had bought some a few goats at that point. I was milking one goat and making cheese like pretty much every day or every other day. And then in, we got our permit in 2013. Do you still have your first goat? We don't anymore. Um, she is no longer with us, sadly. But um, we have some of her descendants. So, How did you... Um, why, why goats? What was it that drew you in about goats? Well, not having any experience farming. When we moved to Lovettsville, when we moved back to the farm... Loudoun was a, the county that we're in was a traditional dairy stronghold. There was like 80 dairies there in the 80s. And then when sort of the first milk crash happened, pretty much everybody went out of business. There's now only one grade A dairy left. And there's really nobody because of the urban sprawl and there's just nobody to buy milk from. And so we knew that we needed to do a farmstead operation if we were going to do this. And not having an experience on a farm, cows felt really intimidating to me. I can manhandle all of our goats if I really have to, which is not the case if you have a thousand pound cow. So that was a big part of it. And I, I mean, I like goat cheese and I wanted to make goat cheese, but it wasn't, we would have been happy with cows too, but for, it was really a logistical decision. All of the infrastructure involved with goats is smaller. We were able to build a smaller parlor and just a lot of it really came down to me being, feeling like I could handle goats a little more easily. Plus they're a lot more fun. In hindsight now, I'm so glad that we didn't get cows because goats are way more fun than cows. No offense to all the cow farmers out there, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we've been really happy with the decision to, to get goats. So. One of the 
I guess what one of the elements of your farm that draws me in so much, as I mentioned before, are the photos, like following the photos of these goats. You get these amazing close-ups of like goats eating these different weeds and grasses and uh, brush, mainly brush, I mm-hmm. guess, and browse on your farm. Um, and I wonder what your take is or your understanding is now of how that incredibly diverse diet lends itself to the cheeses that you're trying to make. Yeah, it definitely impacts it a lot. Um, When we first started, the first two years that we were making cheese, we were still sharing the barn with horses. And so I was, we had very limited access to pasture and browse. Um, And so we were feeding a lot of hay at that point. And I do think that our cheeses have gotten much better since we have shifted. And every year we learn more about the the management of the pasture and browse with them. Um, We've, we started out really having mostly them having the most only on pasture. Um, and over the last few years, we've, we're transitioning to a, a system where they're on pasture in the spring and in the fall after frost, because most of our pastures are fescue, which is great in the cool weather months, but goats really don't touch it, at least in my experience in the summer. And so after struggling with that for a couple of years, we sort of just decided to embrace the, the brush thing. And we for the last three years have grazed them on. We have a lot of overgrown fence lines. One of the nice things about having an old farm that hasn't been, you know, super heavily managed for a while. We have a lot of overgrown fence lines, which the goats love. Um, And now we're in the process of transitioning a whole bunch of hay fields, rewilding them, basically turning them back into brush. So we have a couple of fields that we're just letting grow up with blackberries and willow and locust and everything. But I do think it has a great impact on the flavors of the cheese. The more interesting flavors you have, uh, in the milk, it definitely comes out, especially for us. You know, we do a lot of fresh cheeses. And so the more flavor you can like really pack in there since we don't have the now that we're doing some more aged cheeses, it also comes through there. But with the fresh cheese, you really need the flavorful milk because you're not having that added time aging and breakdown from the from the bacteria and the rind microbes to really give you more interesting flavors. So, well, that's going to increase biodiversity on the property as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. What else is going on at the farm? You mentioned that we were chatting a little bit earlier before we started rolling, and you mentioned that four generations live on the farm. Yes. Um, you know, and there, there's some other property that you guys want to use. Tell us more about what your plans are as, as you guys grow. Yeah, we're still figuring that out for sure. We Right now, we use about 40 of the acres. Um, and as we transition to the browse, we're using a little more every year. Most of the farm had been hayed for the last, like, probably 20 years at least, by a neighbor. And so we're starting starting to take over some of those fields. And actually, the the transitioning to the browse, we are utilizing a lot more acreage for the number of goats. I mean, we have thir- we're milking 36 goats. We have about 50 total on the property, which 40 acres and 50 goats, is that's a lot of acreage per animal. Um, but the problem with grazing or browsing on um, not on pasture is that you really can only hit one section one time in a year. And so we need a lot more property to feed them that way than we would with pasture where you can come back again and again to graze it because the browse just doesn't grow back that quickly. So we'll definitely be using more acreage because of that. And then we we don't really know what's going to happen with the rest of it. It's not, it's, um, yeah, at this point, the future is open. We'd like to come up with some other, some other enterprise to kind of add, add some value to the other property because I don't think we can't, we don't really have the ability to use, utilize all of that for the goats. So we'll see. 
And you also had another big transition recently. You had your second child. Yes, he just turned one. In, yeah. So tell us a little bit more. That was right around the time last summer's collective creamery share is when we first brought your cheese up to Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's right. And I remember we were coordinating <laughs> around your due date. Right. Like when you'd be able to ship and like whether a batch would be ready. How how has having kids while farming like changed how you do your job? It's changed it a lot. Um, it's total chaos <laughs> most imagine. days. Um, so it's my husband and I on the farm and then we have a full-time intern as well. And that person changes every year. And we had, we started hiring someone when my daughter was one, I think. And it definitely has created a whole another layer of complication and something to, you know, things to organize, but it also is really fun. I mean, it's so fun having the kids interact with the baby goats and feeding them and, helping us do so my three and a half year old was helping me in the creamery yesterday stacking dishes for me um, <laughs> but it definitely complicates things particularly for us I ended up having the main reason that we ended up hiring someone was besides the fact that there isn't enough time in the day for me to do everything I need to do milking was one of the things that it was really hard for me to do with the kids because it's like the least flexible thing it has to happen at the same time even if the baby's crying or the you know whatever um, or somebody's hungry and it's not real amenable to having a, a little kid in there um, when there's a whole bunch of goats running up and down a, a milking platform. So that was, that I think has been one of the hardest things um, to manage. And that's why we hired somebody to do that. The cheese making at least is a little bit more flexible. One of the nice things, we make a lot of lactic cheeses. So there's a lot of like, I can sort of run back and forth just while I'm pasteurizing, cooling it down. And then you just like culture it and let it sit for the rest of the day. So it definitely, I find the most challenging thing with them is, is the days that I'm making aged, the, the rennet style, more rennet style aged cheeses where I have to be in the creamery for three hours at a time. And what we've really, I mean, we've really just had to juggle my husband and I just juggle the childcare. He, he has the kids when I'm doing that or vice versa, but it definitely leads a, <laughs> lends a lot of complication to my day and, and makes me change. My, my cheese making schedule has to shift pretty. A lot of it happens around nap time. I have to kind of organize when I rent at the milk and when I cut the curd based on who's sleeping when, but it's fun. <laughs> well, it's impressive all that you do. And um, not only are you milking goats and making cheese and uh, managing land, um, but I, you know, you're also raising pigs and you have a farm store, which I understand is also a, a self-serve farm store like mine. So yes. I can relate to you on the benefits and challenges of that. Mm -hmm. Do you have a nice local following? For we your do. Cheeses? Yeah, it's grown every year. And we've had a really good response from the local folks about the cheese. And now we're doing, yeah, we've got pork and eggs and things in the farm store. And we, it also serves as a place for some other local artisans to sell their stuff too. So we sell some local crafts and other farmers' meats and some sauerkraut and fermented products there too. And so it's been a nice a nice addition to the to the local farm scene, I think. So keep that in mind, everybody. If you're passing through Lovettsville, Virginia, or in the vicinity, stop by George's Mill Farm Store. It sounds dreamy. Let's talk cheese. Mm -hmm. Let's get down to business. So you've got this incredibly biodiverse, nutrient-rich goat's milk. Mm -hmm. What are you making with it? Well, we are now making 10 different types of cheese. 
I should say I am now making 10 different types of cheese. I started out doing all fresh cheeses because from a cash flow perspective, it was too hard. We didn't have the money to be sitting on aged cheeses as much as I wanted to do that. And we also didn't have the space to age them. So we have a pretty, we're pretty space limited. Um, so I make several flavors of Chev, including some seasonal flavors. And then we do three Bloomy Rhine cheeses, one of which was the ash, that the Cavalry Camp ash, which you guys had in your share last year. And that's named for, we had on the farm in the winter of 1865 during the Civil War, there was a union cavalry encampment on the farm. So that's where the name for that cheese comes from. And then we have one called Catoctin, which is just a plain white rind. And those are all lactic style bloomies. We also do one with herbs called Picnic Woods. And then we do a feta. And in the last couple of years, I've started doing some raw milk cheese. So I have a raw milk tome that I do. And we now age in our cheese cave, uh, which is an underground. We have an underground cheese cave that we built last year with the help of a Kickstarter campaign. That really let me know how much our community appreciated us. It was really so touching to have them support us in that way. It was really cool. I don't think I had totally understood how much of a following we had really locally until people started supporting the Kickstarter campaign. So I do a regular uh, um, one called Grey Ghost Tome, which is just a wage it for about four months, five months. And then I also started doing one last year that I was rubbing with cocoa and chili in the fall. And that one's called Day's Rest. And then last year I started doing a raw milk blue too, which I've been wanting to do for years and I was really excited about. When I built the cheese cave, I was able to move the tome out of the creamery and had some, uh, some fridge space to do the blue. So I'm really excited about that one. I remember talking to you when you were on the fence, not yes. feeling worried about introducing blue mold into your yes. cave. And I said, just do it. You'll never regret it. It looks so and gorgeous. And I did and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> and it's entered into the ACS it competition. Is. Ah. <laughs> so you'll get some good evaluation there if not that's what a i'm ribbon. hoping for yeah oh, definitely not a ribbon i just want some evaluation <laughs> no i think that's i think that's a really important point though to talk about as um small scale creameries that are still relatively in startup phase you know like five to five to ten years in um just how challenging it is to keep an aged cheese inventory because of the incredibly high cost of producing this milk yes. and um, or buying it in my case and just having years of, of milk tied up in months and years of milk tied up into your cheese cave. I mean, it's on a small, scrappy, lean operation. That's a lot of strain. And so mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's nice when you get to the point where you can start transitioning to making those aged cheeses because I think that's where there's so much gratification to see. Yes. That's where you're really tasting the land yes. and what all those flavors are Agreed. about. So yeah, congratulations on getting to that point where Thanks. you can kind of like, I guess, push a little further into that realm. Yeah, it also helps keep me excited because especially with the kids and everything, I feel like so much of the time my day is just like getting it done, getting it done, getting it done. And it's easy to kind of lose the excitement of cheese making. And so it's been fun to like bring some new varieties in because it makes gets me excited again, which is nice. Absolutely. And um, how, how do you sell, how and where do you sell your cheeses? We primarily sell at farmer's markets. So we're at two farmer's markets in the DC region, Falls Church and Tacoma Park, Maryland, Falls Church, Virginia, Tacoma Park, Maryland. And then through our farm store. And we do a little bit of wholesale to particularly to other like farm stand and small retailers in our county in Loudoun County sell to a few restaurants one in DC and mostly in again in our immediate region so we really don't go far afield and that has primarily been because my ability to distribute far afield is pretty limited time-wise and yeah just not a lot of time to go driving around I'd like to do more there isn't really 
any way for me to physically do that without hiring somebody to do it for me, which is not real feasible at this time. So, but it's been working out for us and we really have a, we have a good following at both those farmers markets and at the farm store. So now the three of us just came from a really amazing ACS workshop that was pairing beers, cheeses and charcuterie. So we got some really great charcuterie education in addition to cheese and beer, uh, got to eat some really great Pennsylvania produced charcuterie. And I know that you guys just started getting some charcuterie made yes. uh, on your farm. Tell us about going into that. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. So we, a couple of years ago, I guess this is our third year with pigs. We started raising pigs, feeding them the way from cheese making. And when we first started doing that, we, my husband and I were both like really excited about trying to find a way to make that into charcuterie because we don't raise enough pigs to be in the sort of pork selling business in terms of being anyone's pork supplier. So we, we sell some very specific cuts in our farm store. We sell sausage and pork chops, but because we were selling so little of the pork, we'd like it to be something particularly specialized and way fed pork is excellent for charcuterie. And so we finally found somebody, there's a company in Maryland that does really nice salamis. So I'm excited that this, we got our first batch about a month ago back from them and it's delicious. They do, they have do traditionally fermented and cured salamis and they are very tasty. We're very excited to be having them. Got them in our farm store and we sell them at the Falls Church Farmer's Market. And I'm hoping to work with them in the future and do some other things as well. Um, they're still kind of, they, they are mainly a sausage company and are getting into charcuterie. So it's cool to be, to be working with them to do that. In a given week, do you have any downtime? Too much. (laughs) I'm trying to piece together what a typical day looks like. And I can't imagine you get much of a rest. Yeah, not a lot. I mean, we usually in the afternoon, usually Whenever nap time is over for my little guy, um, at that point, usually my day, my work day is over. Um, and so we usually, you know, go down, we go and swim in our creek or we go for a walk or go pick berries or hang out in the house. So that's downtime to some extent, although it's downtime with kids, which is not all that down. <laughs> but it's definitely, yeah, we have a hectic, we have a hectic life a lot of times. So what, what keeps you driving forward? Like what, what's, what really motivates you in your week? Um, most of the, most days it feels like what motivates me is I have to move, use this milk or I have to give it to the pigs. So necessity. <laughs> necessity. <laughs> but it is really fun to be making new cheeses because that does re-excite me and, and doing things like having the pressure of having to have a good batch to send to ACS is kind of exciting because I have to be on my A game when I'm making that cheese. And that's been fun. Um, what, what's your favorite cheese to make? Mm. I really like making the bloomy rinds that we make, the lactic styles, fun. I like the way that it's broken up over several days and there's a lot of waiting and not knowing if it's going to be just the way you want it until the next morning. I like that about it. I also really am enjoying making the blue, although that has been, it's been fun because it's a new challenge for me because I've been, the bloomies, this is our, you know, I've been making them for five or six years, six years now. And so while I still totally screw them up all the time, it's fun to have something that I really don't feel like I have much expertise in at all and to have to learn, learn something new every time I make a batch basically with the blue. Yeah. You're in that vulnerable place. Yeah. Although I don't know if that ever really truly goes away, but yeah, no, probably not. No. And I agree with you. I think 
I mean, I, I love making the bloomy rinds too. I think something about the rapid physical transformation mm -hmm. is so powerful that it was like milk a week ago and now right. it's this velvety cloud yes. that has a completely different flavor profile from day two. Um, I, maybe it's the instant gratification or something. But yeah. I, I also <laughs> really, I really like how quickly they change. Yeah. Especially because we sell a lot at farmers markets. I do. And there isn't a, a lot of cheese infrastructure where we are. There's there's some cool cheese shops in D.C. and it's growing, but there aren't a lot of dairy farms and people just don't get a lot of exposure to like weird French goat cheeses, French style goat cheeses. And so I do a lot of consumer education at farmers markets and it's fun to show people, you know, how different those cheeses are just in a week or in two weeks, because um, that's not always, that's not something that a lot of people are exposed to unless they frequent cheese shops or farmers markets. So it's fun to educate them about that. What's, we, we ask all of our cheesemaker interviewees these two questions, and you can answer them in either order. What is it that has come most easily to you mm. in cheesemaking, and what do you find to be most challenging? That's a good question. I think one thing that I have found to come easily to me is I really like problem solving. And I, as a, I have a scientific background. We went to a talk this morning where they talked a lot about using the scientific method to like solve problems. And I find that I do that just because that's how I've been trained for so many years. And so I, I really enjoy that. Like if we have, you know, like something all of a sudden, and we, we do, I do lab, lab testing on our milk. Like I have a little incubator and do coliform counts and plate counts on our, all batches, of, all of our batches of milk. And it's fun to have that like, ooh, there's a little bit, you know, we've got a little bit of a spike in call. Why is that? Oh, I don't know. Let's go find out and do some swabbing and kind of suss it out. I enjoy that challenge and trying to figure that out. And same with the cheese. But I think it's at the same time with the cheese for me, the hardest thing I think is that I'm self-taught and I don't really have like a cheese mentor or someone that I learned to make cheese from. And I learn things by doing. That's just how I am. Um, and so I've learned by doing them myself, but I also find that I don't have a lot of times a lot of confidence in my knowledge because I don't feel like I've learned it from someone. I've just been making cheese and then it worked or it didn't work. And so a lot of times I, I find that I'm like up against, I, like if there's something wrong, I don't know what it is. And I don't feel like I have a body of knowledge to lean on besides the internet and cheese making books. So I think that's been a challenge for me. So it's, it's in some ways, it's sort of one and the same. I enjoy that sort of finding out what's wrong and fixing it. But I also feel like I don't have, I don't have a lot of um, experiential knowledge to, to lean, like that has been passed down that, that I can lean on. I absolutely relate to that just in my, my own life with writing and with a lot of the food work that I've done. I've been put in situations where it was like, figure it out. There's no manual. Mm -hmm. Like, and, oh, there's a problem. Like, why don't you know what's going on? And I'm like, because no one ever told me. But, right. I've, you know, you learn a lot along the way. Yeah. And, and it's very gratifying when you figure it out. Yeah. It, but it's it's definitely a real struggle, especially when you come to a place like this with like, you know, it's like expert central. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's that's definitely a real thing. But I think, you know, obviously you're you're on the right path and like figuring things out the right way. So the other the other other question that we ask, or maybe it's a way to phrase the last question in a more dramatic way <laughs> is what keeps you up at night? Mm. Thinking I forgot something, which I often have, <laughs> um, especially once since since having children, my memory is hmm. There's not a lot of brain space, extra brain space available. So I have frequently have a, oh, did I turn the vat off? 
Oh, did I turn the hot water off? Oh, did I do this? Did I, oh, I forgot to flip the bloomies. You need like a baby monitor for the cheese room. Yes. So you can just like check it without having yes, to go in there. That would be really nice. <laughs> yes. And I'm really curious, since you kind of married into this very long-standing farm family with this property that they've been able to hang on to mm-hmm. at least a, a big portion of it over so many generations like do you feel a lot of pressure as the person like doing an agricultural enterprise on it now to like keep it sustainable pass something on to your kid it sounds like they have some other revenue streams coming off of the property and like folks are folks are living on the property but like what is that like to to come into this family and and be like the person who's doing agriculture on that land yeah I don't I don't know that I feel pressure I think Sam and I are both pretty committed to this being what we're going to do forever partly because once you're in it it's kind of hard to get out (laughs) um but also because we love it um and I think the family was really happy that we came back because it you know there wasn't when the kids he has two sisters and when they all left it never it didn't really seem like anybody was gonna come back nobody had plans to come back and so everybody they were definitely pleased when we moved back and wanted to wanted to be there and what his other one of his sisters has since moved back as well so it's really fun to have them here with us and they're they've got a little boy now too so it's fun to have that next generation but yeah i, I guess there's some pressure but it's it's a good pressure in terms of the regional food scene surrounding you what is your role as sort of maybe an ambassador or an educator or whatever word you would use to describe yourself in terms of selling people on your cheese i mean as somebody who's also producing cheese in a rural area you know, definitely there are people who gravitated right away to it. And there are a lot of people who will never come within five miles of what I'm doing. Um, you know, what, I guess, what have you learned about selling the local community on what you're doing? Yeah, we've had a really good, I've been really pleased with the response that we've had with our community. I think it helps too, that because we're very much on the edge of the development sprawl we get a lot of people moving out from the city who have had exposure to you know more artisanal products and are used to going to Wegmans and Whole Foods and the cheese counter and are excited to to find that type of product being made near them but we also I I definitely think that both Sam and I feel a big part of our role is to make those same folks and particularly the folks in the local government understand how important it is that we're that we're still part of a story of part of the story in Loudoun County because it's very much all of the zoning and all of that stuff is always in flux and we're all we always feel threatened the the all of the open space in in our county is very threatened by that and so I think as much as we spend a lot of time educating cheese folks particularly at market you know folks about cheese particularly at market I really feel like hyper locally our our job is to educate people on the value of agriculture in Loudoun and how important it is to the local economy and to just the character of the county and that has been an agricultural hub for you know since the 1700s and it's really important for that to stay that way. And so we do a lot of we have a lot of agritourism that happens at our place too. We have baby goats that people come visit and bottle feed and that's really fun and it's a fun extra revenue stream for us but it's also I think a really important way to get get people excited about farming in a place like Loudoun. I have one more question for you. Can you tell us about your barn dances? Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing we do. That's really fun. Yeah. So let's see, two years ago, we start, we had our first barn dance. Um, so we have a huge um, bank barn 
the the creamery and the dairy are in part of it but we have about a 40 foot by 50 foot open space in what was once the grain, um, the threshing floor and the hay loft of the barn. And for the first few years we were there, it was full of stuff still. And we spent a couple of years clearing it out and making a usable space. And then we started doing barn dances and now we do them the third Sunday of every month. And it's just an open, open community event. And we have a potluck and live music. My husband, Sam is a bluegrass musician, bluegrass and old time music. And so it started out where he would he and his buddies played music now he does the calling the square dance calling as well um he's added that to his list of hats and so it's really fun it's really fun to see people come out who would not necessarily you would not see them on the street and be like i think you're a square dancer and they come out and they dance the night away and we have a, there's always a lot of kids running around and they participate a lot in the dancing and then get everybody else dancing because when kids are dancing it's a lot easier to be you know go out and make a fool of yourself and it's just it's a really fun community event and we love having people out and it's another way for us to really make people value having a, an enterprise like ours rather than another 10 houses on the land i think we might have to uh plan our next collective creamery road trip oh, i should totally come to a barn a dance, barn dance. That would be so fun. i i think we would all feel really at home there yes uh, thank you so much for speaking with us and we can't wait to taste some of your cheese again. yours is just such an inspiring story about land preservation and just really yeah anchoring yourself to this historic site and making good use of it and producing beautiful agricultural products off of it and drawing people a little bit closer to your world. It's it's really so inspiring what you're doing. Keep up the awesome work. We're really proud of you. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I've been really enjoying listening to your all's podcast. It's fun, very fun to hear about other cheesemakers. So thanks, thanks for including me. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.